Welcome to the Honest EP podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community. Look and explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches. And joining me as always is Allied Health business owner in his nice branded puffer jacket today and his collared shirt, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? I was actually really worried as you were doing that introduction because I'm, I'm worried that there'll be too much <laughs> friction with the... Uh, so I'm going to try and not move too much as we talk today so that the, the rustling from this puffer jacket doesn't impede the quality of these mm. amazing microphones. Mm, amazing. I, I'd love to say that I could edit out the rustling noise, but I definitely don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, after a break on the beers from our last episode, because that was a Zoom one in the middle of a Tuesday. <laughs> is, a, it, is it not appropriate at midday on a Tuesday? Uh, not on that one. <laughs> Today, though, it's Thursday afternoon, so we can crack a beer. What have we got? We have got the Bent Spoke Sprocket. Um, Canberra beer. Yeah, Canberra beer. Uh, very, very popular this year. They they came second in the Gabs, the beer festival, the hottest 100. Not this beer specifically. That was the, the Crankshaft IPA. So this one is another beer from them. It says Big and Hoppy. It's in a green and silver bottle. Uh, it's 7% alcohol. Yeah, it's two and a half standard drinks. Like yeah. It's... Well, look, we're, we're a long <laughs> way from where we started with the little easy hazies and the three and a halves and the... So this is the the descent of this podcast, is it? Yeah, like just yeah gonna it's going to be heavy. We'll do, just... you, do you remember when we had Hannah on like two years ago and she brought a, an IPA and mm. we were like, oh, oh, it's so strong, I can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like every beer we have is like... <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's good. It is good. It, it does really not yummy. taste mm. as strong as, as seven... Seven hundred percent. I think um, I think our taste buds have acclimatized, desensitized. <laughs> our livers have died <laughs> a little bit, um, and now we can just handle stronger beers. Yes, we can. Which I think actually opens the gates for us to try a lot of different beers because I think this is the way that beers are going. Mm. It's when I was looking today in Bayfields. There were more IPAs and more five to six to seven to eight plus percent beers mm. than I've ever seen before. Yeah. I don't think it's going back the other way. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about this afternoon? <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Um, we are talking about career progression in allied health today. We're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna give our takes. We're gonna give our honest opinions, and we're gonna try and give some useful advice for people. If it doesn't come across useful or comes across a little harsh at points, we apologise. But we are the honest EV podcast. We are not the caring and soft and uh, up in the clouds EP podcast. That's not what we're here for. So, Andrew, I'll start with you. And this is more of a general question for you. I want you to, when I, when I say career progression in allied health, I want you to kind of try and define to you what that looked like when you started and then maybe compare it to what you think it looks like now. 
if it's changed at all? It's a big question. When I started, right, there, there really wasn't an opportunity for career progression in private practice. There might have been avenues mm. in, you know, tertiary education or research and things like that, but certainly in the private practice because there just weren't private practices mm. around that your career progression was being an owner of a business, right? It was going from a practitioner to an owner. Mm. And that, that was kind of the, the one-step process. Mm. Um, often, and, and some of the, the peers that I had that went to uni with, you know, you, you might have finished university, gone into, into a private practice or something like that, and then stayed there for a little while, got a bit bored, and mm. then sort of went, well, what's next? Yeah. And really at that time, the only opportunity was to either start your own thing or you know, go back to uni and do something different. Mm, mm. Um, thankfully, with the growth of EP over the last 10 years, there are more opportunities for mm. career progression. It does look a little bit different mm. um, because there are, you know, either EP-based organisations or organisations that are bringing EPs on and mm. want... And, and see the necessity to provide a career progression for people. Mm, mm. And so they're, they're kind of starting with the end in mind. That, yeah. You know, we want, we want, we know how difficult recruitment is. We want people to stay with us for a long time. And so we want to build out opportunities for people to get fulfillment in their career and in their, and in their life by a, you know, a staged out, yeah. um, you know, quote, career progression. Sure, yeah. I think what's interesting with when you talked about what it was like when you started going, well, I'm, I'm here and the, the next step or the next progression in inverted commas is to become an owner and start my own business, which in a lot of situations kind of puts you back to, to square one. It's, it's, you got to start everything again. You have to start everything again. And, and I, I think we've talked about ownership previously. And if, if not, we probably mm. should mm. rehash that again. But it's very much, it's, it's not a step forward. It's often a step mm. back for a good few years mm. until uh, there is stability in an organization. Mm. There's, um, you know, you've built referral networks, you've built mm. the systems to help mm. deleverage some of the work that you're mm. doing. And, um, you're actually able to start pulling money out of the business. Like, yeah. That doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> straight away. It's not like you go from, well, my director takes 50% of what I bring in. So mm. I'll start my own thing and then I bring in 100% of what I bring in. Mm. It's like, well, you know, you probably end up putting in 100%. You definitely put in at the start. And and some. And some. <laughs> um, and you, you're running a business, right? Your, your business has expenses. You need many things in order for a business to operate successfully. Um, you're definitely not taking 100% of your of your billings mm. off the bat. Mm. Yeah, okay. So looking forward to now, I think it's interesting when we talk about career progression, I think we should kind of go through the different definitions that people might have for this. Say we are a younger allied health professional, whether that's an EP or not, doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, but talking about someone who might be looking forward in their career and going, or about to start their career and going, 
what does it look like for me? What is what is the ladder? What does the progression look like? Where am I going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years if this is an industry that I want to be in? Well, I mean, that's that's actually a really interesting interesting question, right? Like you look at the fact that most people will graduate uni around about 23, 24-ish, mm. right? Um, you will probably now live until you're... 100, mm. uh, which means you'll probably be working until you're 75-ish. Mm. So that's 50 years. Mm. Oh. Do you, like, God. thinking about career progression in that kind of a scale, like, mm. so many of us are focused on, like, the next six months yeah. or the next year. Yeah. But, like, is this going to be your soul career Mm. or do you feel like there are different motivators that are uh you know going to lead you in different paths yeah i I don't think you need to necessarily have an answer to that Mm. but it's kind of just an interesting thing to ruminate for Mm. a moment on that yeah like you're going to be working for 50 years probably Mm. are you going to be an ep for that whole time absolutely so i guess starting off by having a bigger picture look and looking past your first 6, 12, 18 months, I think a lot of people look at that period there and go, well, how am I going to progress? How am I going to mm. make more money? How am I going get, to get the ball rolling? Mm. Uh, but there's a much, much bigger picture than that. And I always think about you know when you ask someone who is in their 40s or their 50s about, oh, what do you do for a living? And when did you start that? The amount of people who went, oh, I started at this job when i was 18 or when i was 21 and 30 years later i'm still i'm still in it Mm. i don't think we appreciate enough how big of an achievement that is to stay in the same industry slash role slash company for that long Mm -hmm. and i feel like and i've had this as well where i feel like i get the blinders and i go oh god i've been working for so long i've been an ep for so long Mm. it's like well been five years <laughs> you're 10 percent of the way yeah, through yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's really not a long time at all when you think about and and when you think about oh you know i i want to as a client a client might go i want to see someone with a lot of experience five years is probably like the minimum amount that someone might look at and go oh they've got some experience mm. that might be a minimum amount so for us to think about in the first five years of career going, well, I already know everything. What Mm. now? Mm. It's like, well, hold up. Like you probably haven't even opened up access to a bunch of clients or people who might want to see you because they look and go, not experienced enough for me. It's a random rant for me. (laughs) No, I think it's, it's a good rant. Um, I had, I had a few thoughts as you were talking through that. I think that's, that's often true. Like, Clients will look at your profile on a on a web page mm. and say, "Oh, they look young. Mm. Like, surely they they can't help me with my, mm. you know, all of the, my things going on." Mm. Um, and if there is a another profile just next to yours of someone who is older with mm. a few grey hairs, well, mm. they're older. They have more experience and more mm. knowledge. Mm. Um, whether that's true or not is a different yeah, story. Well, it's not necessarily fair, but that we can't say that that's not how people look at it. But that, uh, that perhaps is, is also a generational thing where people mm. see, you know, number of years in a profession as a measure of like 
yeah. certainty or um, or or recognition that sure. Oh well, if they're you know they're fifty years old, they mm. must be good at what they do because yeah. they've been doing it for so long. Yeah, like I'm. I know that my parents' generation felt that way. Absolutely. Right? My yeah. parents' generation were: you have one job, you work in one company, mm. you you retire, mm. and then you I don't know play golf or something, <laughs> right? But but I that that was I know right. Um, but that that's career progression. Yeah. Like yeah. you stay in one job, mm. and that you are loyal to that company, and mm. that company is loyal to you, mm. um, and then you retire. Mm. Mm. And it's changing, right? It, is. Or it has changed. Yeah, um, and that's good mm. because change is good. Um, but it's it's okay to think maybe there are other options Absolutely. down the line. Yeah. So I think the first bit of advice that I might add here, and we can talk about is thinking a little bit further into the future and projecting past the, the short term, projecting past the next six to 12 months, your immediate future, starting with even looking at three years. And we do something here that you introduced to me uh, called desire statements. And desire statements are just a way of looking a bit further ahead and then using that longer future vision of in this case we how we do it is what we do uh where you want to be in three years what you want to be doing in three years then based on that you can kind of plan back into the short term of what you need to be doing over the next two years one year six months four months three months a week that Mm. kind of thing Mm. so are you do are is what you are doing now in line with where you want to be in three years time Mm. Uh, so they're called desire statements. They break it down into, um, what, eight categories-ish? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely, it comes from the Wheel of Life framework, mm-hmm. uh, which looks at your finances, looks at your career, your personal life, your contribution. There's seven or eight different categories there, but it sort of gives a, a bit of an orientation as to what is meaningful to you mm. as a human and where where your work can potentially help you to create the life that you want to have mm. outside of it. Mm. Mm. So with something like that, uh, is there a resource that people can read or come across? Like if they search desire statements, will that come up? It it will probably come up. If you search Wheel of Life, it will definitely come up. Wheel of Life. Um, Wheel of Life is something that's used by Tony Robbins and oh, okay. that yeah. sort of... Um, um, that crowd. Cohort. Thing. Yeah. 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 Mm. So Wheel of Life. It, it's. Mm. Uh, in fact, I was at a, <laughs> I was at a um, property investment... Oh, um, lovely. ...seminar workshop uh, last month. Mm. And it was... Pre- uh, one of the presenters was... Zig Ziglar's son. Now, he was talked Zig- about in our last episode. Zig Ziglar is, for those that <laughs> are not uh, of the same generation as me, um, back in the like 70s and 80s, like he was the guy when it came to sales. Yeah, right. right? Like, he was the, the, the mm. icon. John, I recommend that we read one of his books. Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Um, so I was at this property seminar. And Zig Ziglar's son, yeah, right. Tom, brought out the Wheel of Life. Oh. 
And so it's it's not just a, an allied health thing. It mm. is a across the board mm. Mm. resource. Like it's just giving us all an opportunity to think about, you know, where do we want our life to be in three years time? Mm. Mm. And to your point before, mm. what can I do today that is mm. going to get me the result that I want in, in three years time? Yeah. So I guess bringing that back to career, it's a great way of looking forward and going, what do I want my career to look like in three years time? Mm. And if you can map that out in sentences and, and, and visualize what it is, I want to be seeing this client. Uh, I want to uh, specialize in this. I want to have this network. I want to be working in this area, uh, in this space uh, with these people. Then that is a much easier way to plan for it if you've got that vision in mind mm. rather than going, oh, why aren't I, why aren't I more progressed? It's, it's a really interesting point. And I love it because, again, like if you think outside of our, our profession, accounting, for example, mm. like it is rigid, right? Mm. Career progression in one of the big four accounting firms is mm. rigid. It's like, mm. this is what you do. As soon as you do this, then you get this and mm. then you get that and then mm. you get that, um, which is great if that's what you want. Sure. Yeah. Um but it lacks a bit of individualization. Mm, mm. And so using using a desire statement framework is a great way to think about what motivates you, mm. what clients do you want to work with, what team do you want to work in, mm. what life do you want to live? Yeah, absolutely. And then in the other areas of that wheel of life, you've got things like finance. So what does your financial uh, profile look like in three years? Uh, how much money do you see yourself making? Uh, mm. What investments do you have? And that sort of thing. Uh, on top of that, there's things like family and social and holidays. Mm. And by the time you put all this together, it, well, first off, it's very easy to see inconsistencies because you might look forward in your career in three years' time and go, well, I want to be working five days a week and seeing this many clients and making this amount of money. But then you might also go, but I want to have a family with three kids um, and be spending lots of time with them uh, and, you know, mm. working part-time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I want to have saved for a house deposit and done this. It's like, well, hold up. So how are we working this out? What, what's most important mm. to you? And then you can prioritize and kind of work things into your vision of what actually lines up here. Because if it doesn't all line up, it's, you can't really achieve all at the same time. Uh, unless they align in terms of what you're trying to do. Thoughts? My thought, I have many thoughts. My thoughts is this, this is something that kind of contributes to a feeling of burnout. Sure. Right? That you've got all of these conflicting pulls mm. on you. Like mm. I should be earning X amount of money because that means that I can buy this house or mm. send my kids to this school or buy this car or go on a holiday. Mm. But I don't want to work full time. I only want to work three days a week. Mm. But I want to earn money. Mm. But I want to do more professional development. And you right. kind of get all this yeah. like, well, what, what do I do? Like, yeah. I'm stuck. I feel I feel stuck. Yes. Right, because I, I don't know what is going to help me. I don't know what's most important to me, mm. and therefore I don't know how to prioritize my time. Mm. So, 
I then come to my boss and say I need a raise mm. so that like I can tick off all of these mm. boxes that are floating around in my mm. head. But the challenge is that all those boxes are very disorganized. Yeah, absolutely. And and so then your boss is going to ask you a question. Like, like if someone came to you and was like, I want to raise, what kind of question would you ask them straight up? I would say, how does this fit in with your desire statement? Cool. Great place to start. Mm. Yeah. Where do, you, where do you see yourself in three years' time? And then where would you like your salary to go right now? Mm. Right? And then I think as an as a employer, it's important to have a bit of a frame of reference mm. about, well, what do people need to be doing in order to progress yeah. kind of to the next stage in their career? Yeah. I mean, public health has got this very rigid award mm. framework and mm. so as soon as you tick the boxes you mm. move to the next stage mm. um, private practice it's a little bit more fluid mm. than that mm. um, but it's it's a very it's a very challenging conversation as an employer mm. when somebody comes with that sense of like urgency like I need to earn this now mm. um and then you, you have a conversation with them about, well, you know, are you meeting your expectations? What are you doing for refer and nurturing? What are you doing with your team? What are you doing mm. to, mm. to build your personal brand? Mm. Um, how does this fit? And there might be some things that, are, that need some work. Mm. Mm. Um, so as, as somebody that has these conversations frequently, it is. It does come back to like, where do you see yourself in three years' time, and how does this, like, change in your remuneration right now, going to get you to the the outcome that you want yeah. in your life? Yeah, it's a very interesting conversation, and, and so if anything, that should tell people that if you are going to go to your boss or your director or or think of something where you want to. Uh, or go into a situation where you want to end up coming out of it with more money. Mm. You need more than just going, I, I want more money. Here's the, here's the question, right? Mm. Um, if I was coming, if I was, if I had a boss, I would be coming to them saying, in three years time, I want to be earning X amount of dollars. What do I need to do to be able to earn that in three years time? And then what are the stepping stones for me to be able to get there? Mm. Now, that's, that would be a very new question mm. for a lot of people, mm. right? Mm. For a lot of bosses, they might not have heard that question before. Mm. And so it, it actually gives them an opportunity to step back and, mm. and do some working and go, mm. okay, well, do some maths, understand like from a sustainability perspective, mm. financial sustainability perspective, mm. What does the business need to be doing in order yeah. for you to be able to do those things? Yeah, yeah. And then we can kind of mm. like mm. benchmark and, and put some like stakes in the ground about, yeah. well, this is how you get there. This is what that amount of value to the business would look like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's hard to go, uh, I want this amount of value right now. And it's like, mm. whoa, hold up. Mm. <laughs> I haven't even thought about what that looks like. It's it's really hard when you're when you're faced with an ultimatum, mm. um, because on on one hand, like it should be our jobs as owners mm. to pay people what 
they want, right? I would love to be able to keep paying people more and more and more. But if it becomes financially unsustainable, there's not going to be a business to be able to pay people. So it, it, it kind of needs to fit within a framework so that it's, it shows people how to progress to where they want to get to um, and be able to map that out for them and at the same time make sure the business is, is going to be sustainable. Nice. I think that wraps that up kind of nicely with a bow. And my main takeaway from what you've said there is that this, if you are going to have that conversation, it shouldn't just be a conversation, one conversation. There needs to be prep. There needs to be time allowed for planning and vision and Mm. your own desire statements. Uh, So there isn't an ultimatum, which is more of a lose-lose situation. Mm. as opposed to a win-win situation. Both both people will walk out of that conversation disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Because relationship becomes a bit tarnished, probably. Not that it, like... Not that that's... Can can not be fixed. Like, of course Mm. that can be fixed. Um, But there's a better way to go about it. How many many years have you been out of uni now? Uh, Five. Five. And so your your peers, like your cohort... Yes. What what are like five years, right? What are some of the the conversations that are coming up within your peers at the moment at that kind of five year point? It's interesting. Quite a few people are out of the industry, mm. slash have gone down a different path, like gone down the rehab consultant path, or gone down the uh, the public health path, or just left health completely. Mm. So the the conversation it's it's ah oh, it's really funny and I and I try to look at it from a bigger picture that people a lot of people are getting over seeing clients which is wild to me because 5 years is not a long time in the in the scheme of things and like we said before like 5 years is often a benchmark of experience before some people would even want to come and see you I'm still in my 20s. Mm. Uh, I can't grow a beard. <laughs> um, I, I, not that I'd say that in my 30s, I'm going to be able to. I don't think that's ever coming. But like some people are going to look at a website and see me and go, oh, he's, he's 21 years old. And I don't want to see him. As mm. That's fair enough. Mm. Like, I don't blame them. Mm. Um, but I, hopefully at some point, I look like I'm, I'm older than 21 years old. <laughs> and that may help just from a visual <laughs> Mm. Uh, that I look like I've got more experience. Mm. That'd be nice. Can't wait for that moment. <laughs> if it ever comes. Maybe I'll grow some grey gray hairs or something. Maybe I'll use talcum powder. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Something will happen. But a lot of the conversations are about I left because uh, I was overseeing clients or I wanted more money or it the bit... Oh, that one of the common ones and this one hurts me a little bit is... I just had a really bad experience with the place I was working at. So I left EP or I left physio or I left Cairo because I had a bad experience mm. with the with the company or the person I was working with. Mm. And that was enough to turn them away from the whole industry, which sucks. Sucks. Really sucks because they've missed out on so much. First off, 
Hex. <laughs> First off, Hex debt for something yeah. that you've given one shot at. I'm like, oh, come on, give it mm. more than that. Mm. Uh, second off, like no two companies or people are exactly the same. So if you've given it one shot and it didn't go well, try the one down the road. Mm. Try the one a suburb away. Mm. Yeah, try moving to another place if that's something you're open to doing. Mm. There's so many ways that you can go about getting new experiences, finding value in what you do that may fulfill you more. So if somebody's feeling that way, right? So what you've said might resonate with with our huge audience. <laughs> huge, huge. Um, I'm feeling a bit stuck or I feel a bit bored or mm. um, I'm not quite sure, like we just said at the start, like I'm probably going to be working for the next 40 years. Mm. Oh, like, is this really what I want to be doing? Mm. What would be your advice to those people? Is this really what I want to be doing well I'd I'd probably do a a longer term vision and look 5 10 15 years in the future and look at what I want my life to look like and if it doesn't look like me being in health stop mm. why don't do it mm. move mm. like it's you should be signed to work towards your what you want your life to look like in 10 years time now it's not just going to suddenly appear there mm. unless there are restraints that's like, well, at the moment, I have to make money to uh, do this thing and I can't make this money any other way. Then maybe for the time being, you have to set a shorter term goal of, look, it's not ideal, but for the next two years, I have to just put my head down and work hard at this thing that is not ideal mm. so that I can reach this point mm. like look look bigger picture can you work to that bigger picture vision now yes great do it mm. make those changes in and and plan from that long vision down to short term about what you need to do now to, to get there uh, if you can't what other options are there what else is actually contributing to you not enjoying what you're doing now mm. and think a little more about is it just the profession can you get more fulfillment from changing a little thing mm. within the profession what are some of those little things that you see what clients are you seeing what space are you working in who are you working with is the business culture that you're in now one where you enjoy going to work and you enjoy talking to your teammates do you have teammates these sorts of questions mm. so often I think people may bring it back down to the, the financial side when you might be able to be very happy making the same amount of money if you were enjoying yourself and getting more fulfillment mm. because if we bring it back to that wheel of, wheel of life thing finance is one of the sections there are like seven to nine other sections there mm. that are part of your life that may be as if not more important. And as long as you are making enough money to meet your current needs and what your goals are over the next one to three years, should we be spending more time trying to meet those other needs? Which are, the bit, are going to be the ones that probably end up making you more happy. 
Like if my salary changed by five grand, I don't think I would be more happy day to day. No, I, I guarantee I would not be more happy. I guarantee I would not be. <laughs> Excellent. That's good yeah. to know. Thank you so much. Excellent. <laughs> I won't check my next paycheck. <laughs> um, I, I would not be happier day to day if, uh, and I don't. So this is a, a hypothetical situation. If I had a person who I really didn't like that I had to sit next to at work every day or share my gym space with every day and it, and it, oh, it, every day I was like, oh God, I have to go and be around this person for the next six to eight hours. Mm. Every day that would make me unhappy. If I didn't work with them, I can guarantee I'd be happier yeah. every day. Every day. Can I give another example? Sure. I used to have this client, not going to use their real name, mm. but they would come in on a Thursday afternoon. Mm. And on Wednesday, mm. I would see that they're in the diary on Thursday afternoon. And I, from Wednesday, mm. would start dreading that. Mm. I'd be like, fuck. Mm. Mm. Ugh. My life would be so much better if that one client just fucked off yeah. and I didn't have to worry about them. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And that's not because you hated your job. It's not because you were unhappy about what you're getting paid or where you were working. It was that one client. Mm. Did that change? Yeah. I sacked them as a client. And then, <laughs> oh, all of a sudden, I didn't, I didn't have the, the Monday night blues yeah. on a Wednesday night. Yeah. I would just go to bed normally and not yeah. wake up and not be, not be anxious mm. about having to see this particular client on mm. Thursday afternoon. Mm. So there's lots of different ways that you can... Absolutely. Yeah. Create the, the week and the... Yeah. Look at changing those little things first. Like one, one client coming in on a fortnightly, weekly, twice weekly basis is not worth your happiness. Especially if you feel like that is affecting more than just that day. Mm. It's affecting your whole week mm. and it's slowly burning you out, driving you out of the career that you spent five years studying for. You're going to let one client ruin that for you. Or you're going to let that one teammate mm. ruin that for you. Or you're going to let that one business ruin that for you. Mm. 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 <laughs> so... Let's look at some other types of progression. Uh, starting with, so we, we've talked a lot about financial. Let's move on from that. Mm. Let's talk about, say, specialization. Mm. So some people might find that this is a very valid way for them to get more fulfillment. I'm going to keep coming back to the word fulfillment because that was the word we were looking for earlier before we started. It was. That's a great yeah. word. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and how can people get more fulfillment from specializing. So initially for me, I think of ideal clients. Mm. And I think of, and when I say ideal clients, I, I'm talking about the clients that when you see them in the diary, you go, yes, mm. I love seeing these people. I would be so happy if I had a whole day or you know, 75% of my diary was these kinds of people whether that is a demographic, a condition, a personality. An mm. ideal client can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't mm. necessarily mean I just want people with diabetes all day mm. because people with diabetes can be awesome and they can be horrible. 
it's probably like so maybe it is the condition maybe it is what they're presenting complaint is maybe it's more about the personality type so it could be anything mm. but when we're talking about specialization and how that can contribute to uh, career progression we're, we're talking about seeing more of your ideal client from an initial basis and EP is kind of it's unique in this respect right because within physio and, and other professions you have like professional opportunities yeah, to, to title and, and, mm. and be accredited in, in different areas whereas EP whether that's a reflection of the stage that our profession is at or whether it will ever happen in the future. But you can kind of call yourself an expert mm. in anything. Yeah. And you are mm. because you know some stuff about mm. a thing, right? Mm. So if that is the goal, is if the goal is to be able to see more people that are, that are going through a cancer treatment, mm. um, you don't need PhD after your name in order to call yourself... Mm like a, a, an expert or a mm. specialist in that field, mm. um, you can just do that. Yeah. And you can then go and speak to McGrath breast care nurses. You can mm. speak to oncologists. You mm. can speak to other allied health professionals that mm. work in this space and say, oh, I have mm. a very particular interest in working with this, this, this client type. Mm. Um, I've done this CPD. I've mm. got this kind of track record with these, these clients. Mm. Refer to me. Yeah. And if you do a good job, they will. Absolutely. So it's not just I I need to do like a master's degree or a PhD in order mm. to feel like I'm a specialist in a particular area. Like you can do that shit now. Mm. Like you went to uni for four years for fuck's sake. Like use that. It's also, uh, and I think this is relevant specifically in EP, but also other healthcare is that without the titles, without the certifications or the accreditations that say you're a specialist in an area, if you see more people in that special interest area and you do a good job with them, they will likely tell other people with those same concerns that they've seen you and you are awesome. So whether you're getting the referrals specifically from uh, the the professional network, you can start to build a referral base through word of mouth as well. You can also, and, and this is the great thing about social media, for example, is that mm. you can, it costs nothing mm. to sit there and produce some content based mm. on research that you've recently read or mm. a professional development course that you've recently attended mm. that makes you an authority in this space. Mm. Mm. But there, there are no barriers to be able to do that. Mm. And so when you do go and you present to the, you know, the cancer care mm. um, company or, or whoever mm. and they Google you and they, they Facebook you and they Instagram you, well, mm. th what they're going to see is you being an authority in a space. Mm. And that costs nothing costs to do. absolutely nothing. It costs time and effort that like in terms of career progression, if we are talking about specializing as something that will bring you fulfillment in your career, time and effort's kind of a prerequisite for any of these things. Here's an interesting, right? So let's say we're interviewing two people. Mm -hmm. They've both got three years experience. Yep. One of them 
has got a social following of 10,000 people mm. and they call themselves a, a, an expert in a particular area and mm. there is a social like authority yeah. to that yeah. and, and another person doesn't, mm. like who are you going to choose? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. again, it takes time, mm. it takes effort, mm. but it doesn't cost anything. Mm. It costs 10 minutes mm. of you not watching Netflix mm. at night. Mm. to do that mm. consistently over a long period of time. Mm. I'm not discounting the fact that it takes consistency. But showing your value and showing your worth and therefore like projecting that into what you want in your future roles, mm. like this is something that you can take with you wherever you go. Absolutely. Yeah. That's very valuable, quite tangible. Mm. And in a sense, can be monetized because you have people that are yeah. seeing you as an expert in a field. Hmm. Say you have 10,000 people following you and watching your content because it's great content and they're learning things and they're from a specific demographic and then you go, hey, I've brought out an online course with 10 modules uh, that's open to the public and it's all about learning about this area. Monetized. Absolutely. Straight up. People love online courses. Absolutely. It's great. Podcasts. How good are podcasts? Monetized. Still looking for a beer sponsor. Like we don't even we don't even work anymore. We just <laughs> make the podcast and get paid for it. From uh, from Bent Spoke. Bent Spoke. Thank you, Bent the Spoke. The best beer in Australia. They are Australia's greatest producer of yeast. <laughs> Yeast <laughs> beverages, fantastic. Uh, TM. <laughs> no, um, no, we don't. I wish we did. That'd be great. What I might take away from that is that becoming a specialist, or having a special interest area, becoming an expert in an area, doesn't necessarily need a title or a specific course that you have done. Uh, like a classic one is, oh, I want to work with sporting teams. Uh, I must have my strength and conditioning course. And it's like, you probably already know what you're going to learn in your level one strength and conditioning course. Everyone, every man and their dog can do that. You could get on YouTube and watch videos. On It'll that. teach you uh, periodization and, you know, deloading hmm. and different blocks, hmm. uh, yada, yada, yada. Here's how to use an Excel spreadsheet. Here's how to teach technique for these movements. Great, cool. You've now just like brought yourself to the level that everyone else mm. is at. That's not going to get you the job. That's not going to get you the client who, you know, is going to go on and, and probably end up looking at your social media mm. first and going, what content is this person producing? What knowledge do they actually have? Rather than, oh, I know they've done that course that every single personal trainer in Australia has done. So... Do, do your own stuff. Put mm. some time and effort into building your own brand mm. and knowledge and content and then, boom, you'll start to see more people that you want to see and like we just said, if we had two people in an interview and one of them uh, was a uh, kind of community expert, uh, a source of information, they're more likely to get a job. They're probably more likely to get a... Uh, or make more money if they are able to attract more clients to come and see them. Mm -hmm. Straight yeah. away. That's career progression. That's career progression. Wonderful. 
Cool. Should we move on from specialization? So another one here is a... What does uh, career progression look like in healthcare? Does it look like a change in roles? Does it look like a change from a clinician seeing as many hours a week of clients to someone working more on the business than in the business? I know for a lot of smaller businesses, this role doesn't really exist unless you own it. Especially it's like not necessarily worth value mm. in a smaller business uh, <coughs> at an early stage anyway. Like if we, if we take rebound to an account here, like early on, or how long was it before you brought on someone or you started to pay someone uh, for stuff that wasn't clinical work? Not including like a, a bookkeeper or an accountant, like someone who was on site working with you. I think there was a team of about four of us mm. when when we brought in an admin person mm. and that admin person was there to answer the phone, mm. respond to emails, mm. book people in. Mm. To mm. The, that, that's not business development. Yeah. That's not referring nurturing. Mm. That is just literally mm. responding to inquiries mm. that come in. Okay, here's a better question then on, on top of that. How long... How many years approximately do you think it was before you had a clinician uh, moving further away from, uh, but well, try and progress their career by seeing less clients? Oh, six, seven years. Yeah, right. And what did that look like initially? So it looked like perhaps a, perhaps a bit of self reflection on on my part that. I I never considered myself a very good clinician and I think I was I was capable. I could see anybody that walked through the door, but like I, I wasn't great. Um and there there were great clinicians here. Mm. And so what it looked like was transitioning mentoring mm. from me to them. Mm. So they would start to handle the the mentoring and the of the of the team mm. that mm. then kind of expanded into induction mm. that then expanded into a student program that then expanded into recruitment mm. so it was a, this kind of progression over time mm. but that took six or seven years mm. Mm. for that to come out and i imagine if you had someone who say been with you for one two or three years in the early stages of the business that probably wouldn't have been valuable enough to the business for them to take over, right? Well, at that stage of a business, you're worried about getting new clients through the door. You're not mm. worried about like mm. off like oh, it sounds terrible. You're not really worried about offering career progression. You're worried mm. about survival. Yeah. At that stage, you're mm. worried about getting and seeing enough clients, particularly if if you decide to transition from a contractor arrangement to an employee arrangement, mm. and you have these ongoing overheads of mm. like we have to pay salaries mm. and that's at, at good and, times and through leave. the year and leave mm. at good times in the year that's that's not a problem at all but there are there are ebbs and flows Absolutely. in the business winter winter christmas <laughs> christmas 
right? Fucking March. And uh, April. April. <laughs> April is a month. It's just a shit month. <laughs> How many public holidays do we have fucking in Fucking hell. I mean, Jesus. you know. <laughs> yeah. Too fucking many is how many. But it's not, it's not even on your radar as a business owner. It's not even on your radar to offer career progression that takes people away. And this is going to sound harsh from generating revenue for the business mm, at that mm, stage in a, in a, mm, in a business, mm, because cash flow is so tight and margins are so lean mm, that the ability to allocate two, three, four hours to business development or resource development or social media, who gives a fuck? Like we're, we're just trying to get people through the door. Um, I, and I was definitely in that space. And I, and I think it's, something very normal for people to go through um now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be trying to add value to those businesses in if if they're in that stage it's just recognizing that they are in that stage and in order to progress further we need to do great work with clients we need to improve our systems so that we can help more people so that opportunities come up in the future. Mm, mm. And I guess on top of that, it's that in the short term, bringing in more cash, bringing in more revenue is the clearest way to to show more value. Straight up. Straight up. Because mm. if you're doing that, then you can you can have a fairly good, good um, I was going to say argument, fairly good argument mm. that well, I'm generating this amount of revenue. Mm. I think my salary should be reflective of, of what I'm generating. Mm. Like that, again, like that's a, that's a fairly good mm. conversation to have. Mm. Um, and if you're proactively involved in that process, which doesn't necessarily mean I need more time blocked out of my calendar in order to do those things, it's actually just doing it mm. because you want to do it, then you get rewarded for that. Mm. If, yeah, it becomes a different conversation where it's like, I want to bring in less revenue and do more of this other role. Which is great, right? But don't expect your remuneration to change as a result of that. Mm. Because the, the person paying you has to see more value in that time mm. than what it would be for a client to come in and see you in that time. And if your time doing that other activity is not as valuable as seeing a client for an hour, mm. well, then it's probably not mm. worth more. Right. If we are just looking at it doing from like a zeros and ones kind of side of thing. Yeah. yeah. Doing, a, doing a social media post, mm. like spending one hour a week doing a social media post versus seeing one client mm. at $150 mm. for that one hour. Like as a business owner, what's more valuable? Mm. Well, it's seeing a client. Yeah. Right. Um, until you're able to get to a point where it, the social media is very good and you're speaking to a very large audience and potentially that post is seeing a return on that investment. Exactly. But, but I don't want to go down this no, no, no. too long, Yeah. but I, I feel like this comes up for a lot of people, mm. right? I, I want to add more value to a business. Therefore, I want to spend more time doing social media. Mm. Therefore, I need more time to do social media. Mm. And it's like, 
that's true. What's also true is there are social media experts out there. So if I was to outsource social media to an agency and, and they charge, I don't know, or AI, a week. or AI, chat GPT, that shit. Why would I do it? Like, why would I pay you to do that when I could invest in somebody who does this for a living? Mm. And you are a good practitioner or a great practitioner who could be seeing a client. And again, this kind of comes back to if if I had a following of 10,000 people mm. and I had like a really great social media account and then I said to the business owner, hey, like why don't I try and leverage <laughs> off my, my social media following mm. to improve the business? Mm. That's very different to Absolutely. if you have no social media account mm. or you got 100 followers mm. and you post, you repost some shit that Essa puts yeah. out every <laughs> six months. And then you say, I want two to three hours a week to produce social media content. Mm. Like, yeah. why would I do that? Yeah. Like that's, you haven't proven yourself that you can mm. do that very well. Mm. This is kind of along the lines of that as well. Uh, maybe a little away from it, but I think it is just a good thing that I stick to as well. A good leader leads without a title. And, and isn't doing it with the expectation of getting one. Mm. And I think it comes down to providing value as well. Mm. That a, a, a really, really good employee, a really, really good practitioner should be providing the value to the place they're working at before going like, hey, I mm. want to provide this value, pay me for it. Well, it's like, I'm about to do this progression. Yeah. So... I should be yeah. uh, I, I rewarded need, for it. I need to wait. I yeah. Need, like you need to pay me more yeah. in order to... So it's like have the initiative, yeah. provide the value, show that you can do it and that it is valuable and then then that's a much better leg to stand on. Yeah. Mm. Much better leg to stand on because then if, if the response is not what you want it to be, mm. then you have the option of going, well, I've been transparent it's not being reciprocated, mm. so I'm going to explore the options that are on the on the table for me. If you are at a smaller business, a smaller place, and there isn't really that that ladder, that thing where mm. there are those more non-clinical roles to go into, that's okay. If if progression to you looks like, uh, well, you want progression to also reflect in your remuneration, there are ways to do that without leaving or doing other roles. You can do the job you are doing right now really, really, really well. Bring in more people, have great word of mouth, uh, build a following who when you go, hey, I've got five spots this week for someone to come in and see me. Mm. Uh, and me to provide you with some value and people come in and do it, amazing. That's great. Mm. But also, if you are seeing a lot of people and there is a position, maybe you're at a business where you can go and you know, maybe this is possibly, maybe it isn't, and you can go, hey, I'm seeing all these people and I know these people would still come and see me if I was getting, uh, if they were paying 10% more. Mm. 
Mm. 100%. Then that's a very easy way to provide more value straight up. And if you're in a contractor model, some clinics probably work on a, on a junior, senior practitioner model mm. where depending on who you see, the, the clients pay different amounts straight what, up. What do I need to do to progress to that level? Yeah, yeah, that's an option. I'm looking at the, let's move on. I'm looking at the different things that uh, could fall into career progression. And of the dot points we had down there, the only other one I had written down was relationships. Mm. I think what I meant when I wrote <laughs> down relationships was network. Networking. That's what I think yep. I meant by that. Yep. What would you say on career progression and what that might look like from a network? Well, again, like I, I feel like relationships are built off doing good work. Mm. Right, getting good results with clients, communicating those results to those clients' networks and then being able to generate more referrals by word of mouth to you as a practitioner because of the good work that you do. Mm. Like that, that's, that's how you do it. Mm. Um, while we have spoken about the, the influence of social media, like word of mouth is, is like a fundamental component to an allied health business and... Um, for, for a clinician to be able to build those relationships with other allied health professionals, with you know, insurance companies or support coordinators or whatever it is that you, you know, your, your clinic works in the most, for you to have people that refer to you by name, mm. that's valuable, mm. Mm. right? People coming in and say, I want to see Archie because my GP said... Archie's the person that I want to, that I mm. should see. Mm. That's valuable, mm. right? How do you get there? Well, you do great work. Mm. Mm. You go above expectations mm. for those clients. You mm. help them through their shit so that they go back to their GP and say, oh, you referred, oh my God, like my life has changed because of this person. That's valuable. Mm. That's also something that you can take with you. Wherever Absolutely. you go. You take your name with you. You take your name and you take your reputation mm. with you. Mm. That's brand, right? Brand is reputation. Absolutely. So you it it's it also, while we, we reflected before about, you know, looking at bios on websites and one person looks younger than another and mm. oh dear. But the ones that you do get coming through, do fucking good work with them mm. and they will tell other people of the experience that they had and those people will follow you. So I get like controversial topic, but you, if you were to leave a company, right? The, the company doesn't own those clients, mm. right? Nobody owns those clients because mm. in healthcare, people can choose who they want to work with as their practitioner. So, if I'm not feeling particularly, you know, supported or, or whatever, and I decide to move five kilometers down the road, well, those clients aren't owned by that business. They can choose whoever they want as their healthcare provider. And so they could choose to follow that practitioner down the road, right? That's, 
the simplified version mm. of it. You should not solicit clients. That's different. Mm. Um, you should not take information that mm. is not yours to take. You should not different. break your contract if you there is break like your a contract, etc. Et yeah. But if you just do great work and you have a following of clients and a following of referrers yeah. that refer to you by name, mm. you can take that wherever you want to take it. Mm. Mm. And again, like from a from a business perspective, if if we're talking about interviewing people and and one of them has got these like amazing Google reviews and mm. amazing client experience mm. like testimonials because we're allowed to use them as EVs. Like, that's very valuable. And while we would not want to, you know, do anything to, to impact the relationships that we have with other organizations, if these people are turning up at our door saying, I don't feel valued at my current workplace, I'm looking at, it, at exploring other options that person is incredibly valuable. Absolutely. So whether whether that goes that far or not, like building relationships or, or whether it's you want to start your own business, mm. right? Mm. Like if, if your desire statement is in three years' time, I actually want to have my own mm. clinic. Mm. Um, how you get there is by doing amazing work and building a, a network of people that refer to you by name. Because... Mm. That's something that nobody else can take away. I don't think I have much else to add on this topic here. The last dot point I had written down, which I think we covered, but I'll just add one more thing to it, which was uh, I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling bored with what I'm doing. Mm. With that topic there, I think it's really important to really have a, a deep reflection about a, am I bored because oh, I know how to treat this person who's coming in the door. I do a good job with them. I feel like that's a common reflection that people might have is that oh, I know how to see everything. Like mm. I know what to do when everyone comes in the door. Mm. It's, it's, it's simple stuff. You know, mm. I've been doing it for a couple of years. Mm. It's not hard. Mm. Whereas I think there's multiple levels to that. And being able to see whoever comes in the door is very different to being able to smash out of the park every single person that comes mm. in the door. Mm. I think those are two very, very different things. Mm. And I think I don't want people to be okay with settling at, oh, I know the prescription and I know the treatment for each of these people who come in the door. Mm. It's like, can you nail the trust and rapport building with all of these different people who come in the door with their different individual backgrounds and their individual medical histories? And can you provide a perfect individual program and management plan and treatment journey and outcome for each of these people? I think those are two very, very different things. Mm. And I think they get mushed together too much. Mm. Mm. That's my last thing I will say on that there in terms of are you bored? It's like, mm. well, are you challenging yourself enough? Are mm. the results you're getting actually in line with the best that you could possibly mm. be doing. Yep. Do you have anything else to add on career progression, Andrew? Look, uh, my, my only ad would be just to follow on from that point that what of my, my mentors, he says, like when, when reflecting on something like that, for example, it's not, do I do this? It's how well do I do this? 
And when you think about it like that, then you think that there's always ways to improve mm. on what you're doing. So if you're bored, take a different perspective, learn mm. some different stuff, be exposed mm. to different things mm. because yes, it's, it is, you know, at certain points in your career, it's probably fairly common to get bored. Mm. But mm. how you get through that is by exposure to different ideas, mm. not by jumping ship to a different profession. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that from Pete? Shane Davis. Oh, okay. Interesting. Shane Davis. I got it from Pete. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if Pete got it from Shane Davis. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's all a bit of a... Uh, it's all just kind of a mush. Yeah. yeah. How's your beer? Well, I've, I've had two of them. So. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice you opening the second one. <laughs> They've gone yeah. down a treat. Are you going to be able to drive? I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> might have a kip out the back for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I had one and one was really good. Yeah. There you go. Alrighty. Well, we'll sign off and we will see everyone in a couple of weeks' time at the next episode. See you later. Bye bye.